1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we eavesdrop on conversations with people who've produced positive results towards achieving their goals so you can do the same. This week I'm talking with Dana Byers. She's the president of Blue Door.tv, which she co founded with her husband in Europe in 2007. She is now currently a community pastor for LifeChurch.tv, Church Online. And she also blogs at DanaBuyers.com. She talks a lot about minimalism, and we're going to discuss that, what exactly that is, as well as different topics such as how minimalism affects your perspective, your priorities, and other productivity tips. Dana and her family have had a very unique perspective or adventure, let's call it, these past few years and I think you're going to find this episode a bit exciting and kind of a different take on productivity. Again, that's what we're all about, personal productivity perspectives. And Dana definitely brings yet another awesome twist on a new perspective. Well, this week it's my privilege to bring to you Dana Byers, who is the president of BlueDoor.tv – which she co-founded with her husband in Europe in 2007. She is currently a community pastor for LifeChurch.tv, church online. We've never met in person, but welcome to the show, Dana.
0: Thanks, Eric. I'm really glad to be here today.
1: So the reason I wanted to have you on the show was obviously from the productivity angle, I thought, well, you've got some experience from a a number of different things. Doing online church, which I'm sure some people don't even know exists, which would be awesome for you to talk about. You talk a lot about minimalism, which is where I want to start first, but also from the perspective of you've been a stay-at-home mom, kind of being the, the organizer for your home life, for your family as well. So what is minimalism anyways?
0: Well, let me give you the unfortunate answer that it depends on who you ask. Uh, Since you're asking me, um, I really view minimalism as the practice of finding the things that are most significant in my life and investing in those. And because of that, it means that for our family, we're routinely looking at our schedule, our finances, our living circumstances, um, a number of things like that, and saying, Are we best employing what we have? Uh, Where do we have an abundance that we can share? Where do we have an excess? And what's missing? Is there something missing? And um, I realize that's very vague, but I think I I could actually give you a very true to life, in the moment example. Awesome. Awesome. That would be last night. My husband, Chris, and I were sitting on the couch, and I just said to him, for lack of a better term, I don't know if there's a phrase out there to describe this, but I feel like we're kind of in a season of addition, (laughs) that we're adding a lot of things. And he said, I'm totally with you. You know, what is it that doesn't feel right to you at this time? And we've learned that minimalism is really about self-awareness. So we recognize that probably with regard to our children's schedule, um, we'd maybe added one thing. That was just sort of beyond what we want them to be involved in, taking away from family time and probably creating more stress than benefit for them and for us. So uh, we were able to just make you know a quick executive decision and say, you know what, let's pull back from that. We'll talk to the kids about that and explain that. And I really felt peace from that. So I would say minimalism is also sort of having um, a self-awareness and being willing to say, I may have overstepped a bound or I may not be doing enough. Um, because I want to see a different result come out of what I'm investing in my life.
1: Okay. So it sounds to me like how I would define it, I guess, is knowing what to say yes and what to say no to. Exactly. Have you ever heard of the opportunity cost? Have you ever heard of that term? That's what this makes me think of is where if you say yes to one thing, then you have to say no to the other things that would take its place.
0: Yes. And vice versa. That's so true. I think I wrote a blog post about that last year. The idea of, um, and let me just share, I have a finance background, loved my econ class at university. And so when I think about looking at things practically, when I talk about minimalism, it's sort of this big picture explanation, but it has to practically play out day to day. I have to look at what's ahead and think about. Okay, where am I going to say yes? Because that means I'm saying no to something. Mm. And sometimes, unfortunately, what we say no to is more important um, than what we're giving our time to or our money to. So yes, it's an absolute um, opportunity cost. And as much as feelings are involved in that and you know, memories are involved in things and relationships are involved in things, looking at it as an opportunity cost sort of helps me be more practical about living it out day to day
1: to me, it sounds like you're just basically saying it's about practically living out your priorities. Yes, yeah, definitely. Which and has everything to do with productivity, because if you don't do the right thing, you're just doing busy work.
0: Yes, that's so true. And, you know, there have even been seasons, Eric, where we've felt like um, we have needed to say no to a handful of things in a number of areas of our lives. And we've said no, and we've thought we've got what you often hear about in the church world. Uh, my pastor, Craig Rochelle, I've heard... Um, other people talk about margin and you know, margin is having more than what's needed. So, for a minimalist, whenever we get to a point and we realize we have more than what's needed, more money, more time, more of resource, whatever it is, we ask ourselves, okay, where can I invest this? Because this is in my life, there's got to be an opportunity to invest that somewhere in a person I care about, in a cause I care about, uh, in my own family. And so it's exciting being motivated to say no when the opportunity cost is considered, because it means on the other end, we're going to have margin and we get to be generous, which is, I think, a, a core value of minimalism.
1: Yeah, definitely. You mentioned seasons, and I think that's probably the best way to maybe walk through your timeline, is maybe start back at the beginning of how did you guys end up in Europe? I think minimalism played a part in that, didn't it?
0: <laughs> yes. It, Although
1: maybe you didn't know it at the time.
0: We, we didn't know at the time. You're absolutely right. What happened was, um, for lack of a better term, we just sort of felt like um, we were being pulled away from a lot of the things we owned, a lot of the, um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? A, lot of, a lot of obligations we had. And obligations, I think, is a negative word as compared to commitments, I'm committed and loyal to a handful of things that I'm passionate about. Beyond that, there are a number of things that are obligations, some that we can't get rid of, but many that we can. And I was surprised to recognize as my husband Chris and I felt like we were being um, freed from obligations that we were sort of digging ourselves out from under this pile of probably emotional, mental, and actual physical clutter in our lives. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had two young kids uh, at the time. Our kids are a little bit older now. They're both in elementary school. But at the time, I had two kids at home. And we realized that we owned a lot and a lot of things owned us. And in the middle of that, we had developed a uh, passion for um, a number of countries abroad. We really loved travel, but it was more than a love for travel. It was um, an interest in working with people overseas and knowing other cultures. We have um, one of our children is adopted from another country, came into our family speaking a different language. So we really um, wanted to give our children that experience as well, but. What started as, I would say, sort of a a selfish endeavor, sort of having curiosity, what if we could leave everything and do that, turned into an opportunity that changed our lives and the way we see what we contribute to the world dramatically. So ended up over that time as we, um, being Christian, we were really seeking God and asking Him what He would have us do, and we felt led to sell everything that we owned. Uh, We sold our house, gave a car away, sold our other uh, vehicle. Kept only what would go in a few pieces of luggage. And of course, people always ask me this, so I have to throw in there, Eric. I did keep my wedding album and some wedding china, and I stored those in my mother-in-law's garage while nice. we were at so I didn't throw everything away. Good. <laughs> but I have to, the caveat is... I really haven't looked at my wedding album since I got back, and the china is just sitting in my cabinet. So um, there is a lesson there, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I kept them, but I don't know why. Uh, so as, I, as we went overseas, our family just began trying to promote um, relationships with people, getting involved in our local community. We were based in southwest London in the Wimbledon area. And we literally, because we were unemployed, we, my husband had resigned his position and we were living on our savings. Uh, Our days looked basically like getting up, uh, going to the park, meeting people, going for walks. We didn't have a lot of families. So life became immediately simple. I mean, if we were going at 100% of a complicated American life before we left, uh, when we landed in London as Uh, you know, a lot of people think it sounds extremely romantic. Really, it was um, (laughs) was not. Uh, We loved it, but it wasn't um, very idyllic. You know, we weren't uh, in central London doing a lot of exciting things. We loved being there uh, and we did things on occasion, but it was just a very simple life. And so our experience was going from a lot to a minimal lifestyle. And then, um, learning who we are through having all those things peeled away from what our life was. Um, It was an incredible experience. So during that time, what we ended up doing was taking uh, LifeChurch.tv Church Online and trying to sort of expand that um, internationally, trying to provide um, what we call online experiences. Church Online is an opportunity to share the gospel with people who are curious about God, they might be curious about Christianity, but they're unwilling or unable to attend a local church. So uh, that being the case, we will produce content and have live people available at that moment in a live experience, um, watching the content together, discussing it, answering questions, and really just forming relationships. And so out of that, we saw it as an opportunity to connect with people that we wouldn't be able to meet otherwise. And then occasionally, as we met those people at Church Online, uh, we'd be able to meet them face-to-face where we lived locally. And that became very exciting for us to use the internet as a means for um, building community, building relationship, but also about sharing something that we're passionate about, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sort of being entrepreneurial, which my husband and I both are, uh, I would say he is more than I am. Uh, He's a visionary, and I uh, I sort of have a strength of focus. So, uh, we took what we had and, uh, started traveling around Europe, uh, connecting with other churches and just forming a network. And we ended up, uh, moving to Poland for a while to launch an online church in the Polish language called Kościoł online. And since that time, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but because I didn't have a laptop, I only, I just had my Blackberry and when our family were traveling, I would just write notes about what I was thinking about online ministry, what I was learning about church online and other cultures, and wound up writing an ebook. Didn't really realize that's what it was at the time, uh, but realized I had so much content, there was something there that I wanted to share. And so, as we continued living a minimalist lifestyle, traveling, and um, just trying to serve others, this little ebook came about and it became uh, probably a definition of what I mentioned earlier, Eric, margin. It became something that was in my hands that I could share. Surprisingly, uh, God led our family back to America. And when he did, um, I had a couple years um, living in Indiana where I was still very passionate about church online and wanted to use the margin of that ebook uh, to share. And so worked on publishing that and sharing that um, in a number of different languages free. And then from that came sort of an expansion of uh, partnerships and community and network and uh, and, um, other languages uh, in church online. So it's been a fascinating experience because it's sort of like we were pulled away from what we were buried in. Um, And don't hear me wrong. We loved uh, the life that we had before we went overseas. But the opportunity to shed a lot of what we were doing gave us the freedom to come back and live in a way that we never dreamed we could.
1: So then you guys were living in Indiana. I know you're not now. And your husband was working at Formstack.
0: Yes, he is the CEO of Formstack. He's still working at still
1: is, yes. Which yeah. is a great service, by the way. People should check that out. I agree. <laughs> and uh, so how does Blue Door fit in? How does Blue Door.TV fit into the equation there?
0: Well, Blue Door.TV became sort of... Um, It's what was born out of that time overseas. Uh, At this moment, I'm not actively raising funds for BlueDoor.TV. I'm not um, actively adding partners. What's happening is it's sort of experiencing organic growth. I got to a point where I realized some of the questions that were coming back to me as I consulted the partners we have in, in other countries were questions that we don't know the answers to yet. How do we do you know X, Y, or Z regarding online ministry? And we had grown leaps and bounds over five years. And then we got to a point where we were all sort of looking at each other saying, what's next? And so over a period of about four to six months, I was really um, doing a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of prayer, and a lot of observation, really trying to figure out what do I think is next, and um, started having conversations with um, a a man who is now actually my leader at LifeChurch.tv. And because we both really cared about Forming online community and connecting with people online. And so we decided that we would, um, that I would actually come onto the team full time and start trying to work toward that goal of the next steps for online ministry and what that looks like globally not just in America. And so I feel like the experience I had with Udur.TV while it still goes on is something that um, I'm bringing now to LifeChurch.TV and while I'm fully working full time at LifeChurch.TV whatever we learn is something that um, just because the culture that, that we operate in is something that gets shared. It's something that we want to benefit other churches as well. So I'm excited because what was margin in my time, because now both my children are in elementary school, I realized I could probably combine forces with LifeChurch.tv and the partnerships I have at BlueDoor.tv, and we could achieve more than if I just stayed in my home office and kept trying to create traction. And I think the deciding factor for that, I'm asked this often, and I like to share, is the deciding factor was that... I realized that, you know, more is done in community. And I say that because there's a lot, um, there's a huge, um, I guess I'd use the term movement right now of a lot of people, you know, building up an audience or building up a platform and working towards going out on their own. And I think that's great. I know a lot of people who are doing that and doing well. Well, for me, I, I sort of went the other way. I had a lot of experience and opportunity doing something, sort of built a platform, and then realized there was a place I could partner and do more because I care about the cause that I'm working on. And so I'm not particularly branding myself, um, but trying to brand um, church online. <laughs> so it's been very interesting taking that margin and making that decision uh, to see what God would do because um, our family has... Um, happily sacrificed a lot for Church Online, and I really feel it's an honor for us to have been able to move to Oklahoma so that we could see what comes next out of this partnership.
1: Excellent. So then you've talked a little bit about minimalism and a little bit about margin, your time in Europe, and then moving back to the States. When you got back to the States, though, and, and we're in Indiana, that was kind of some of the time where you were the quote-unquote stay-at-home mom. Yes. How did you balance all the different roles?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's a great question because I still don't know how I did. (laughs) I I did it well. Let's put it that way. I don't know. Time will tell. But what I practically did day to day was um, I have a handful of people um, like we all do who just know us so well. They can say, hey, Eric, you're good at this. Eric, you're not so good at this. (laughs) Dana, you really shouldn't be doing this. Why don't you try this? And I'm so thankful for that feedback. Um, the more I think we step out in faith, the more of who we are is visible. And I had learned over time that I'm a high performer in the mornings, uh, not so much in the afternoon. I had learned that creativity wins. And when I say that, um, it really just means that I, I'm so literal when I look for a solution, what's the best way I can make sure that I'm, you know, honoring my commitment to the nonprofit TV? That's what I was thinking at the time. And I was also thinking, how can I support Chris? Because I'm really passionate about what he does at Formstack. And I also wanted to know, how can I be a completely available mom for my kids? And so when I was looking, I was just looking at it very practically, trying to write out a schedule and and boil it down to that. And I realized I needed to find a creative solution. Um, I often think the answer is either going to be A or B. You know, it's this or that. I tend to think very black and white. When the fact is, in my experience, it's often been that God has brought solution C <laughs> forward, which was something I never considered We've had opportunity to invite um, a young lady to come live in our home to help us out in the interim. Um, so we could mentor her, but also she was a blessing to our family. So if I needed to get away to do something to serve someone else, she would step in and help out. And our children never, never lost, um, you know, that experience of being at home in an environment that's really comfortable in their formative years. Uh, we've been able to be creative uh, financially. Um, honestly, being minimalist meant that. Um, The things that we sold off provided us the funds that we needed for things that we felt we needed more at the time. Um, If I was able to, on occasion, I didn't do this regularly, but if I could occasionally bring someone into the house who could clean the home for me, or if we could purchase several meals at a time so I wasn't thinking about dinner time when I'm in the middle of a consulting call with a pastor in Slovakia, then, (laughs) then we all win. And so it was being creative that helped so much.
1: That's great. So then I know you've – over time, you've been blogging about this journey, and that's where you've written a lot of your thoughts. When did you start calling it that? When did you label it that? Because at some point, I started to see that come through on your tweets and thought, huh, I didn't know she even knew about what that was. And I don't know that I even know what that is. But Well, you know,
0: it's funny. Someone it, – you know, I was just mentioning earlier. It's great when you have friends who say, Dana, this is who you are. Um, I thought I was – Um, being frugal, which I don't, it's not a value of mine. I thought I was having to be frugal because of the missionary lifestyle that our family was living overseas. And then I realized it was a mindset. If we needed something, we had the finances for it generally, and we would try to get something of quality or value. We We weren't trying to do things on, it was different. It wasn't frugality, and that's all I kept thinking of. And I really sort of rejected that. So when someone said to me, I think it was my friend Ben Stroop, um, said, Dana, this is really, he really confirmed it for me. This is definitely a minimalist lifestyle. It's the mindset. That's the way you're living your life, the way you're making your decisions. And so I just came at it, um, uh, you know, sort of how I have to say, like, um, Jeff Goyne says, you know, I've, I, I am a writer. I am a minimalist. This is who I am. And there was sort of a hilarity in embracing that. And it's sort of a freedom in embracing that. um, Because it very quickly brought on questions that I loved answering. And even today I was thinking, Eric, boy, I'm excited about this interview. Because as I answer and tell my story, it just sort of reinvigorates me um, to be who I am. And that's really freeing. And I, I hope it doesn't mean that I think or I hope it doesn't communicate, that I think everyone has to live that way. But it has provided um, such freedom for our family in a number of ways that I can't imagine living anyway else.
2: Dot com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, dot com to learn more.
1: Well, that actually brings me to one of your blog posts where you write, the minimalist perspective, it's not for everyone.
0: At the risk of sounding dramatic, I would be heartbroken if someone heard this podcast and said, you know what? Okay, what I gathered is that I'm meant to sell everything I own. I'm meant to go sacrifice and struggle uh, when that's not the answer at all. The the mindset of minimalism is to um, pursue it if that's the way you think. (laughs) And while that sounds kind of fluffy, uh, the fact is I don't think, um, like for me, I'm passionate about um, Christian evangelism. I'm not not wanting to push um, or even share a lot the minimalist lifestyle. I think what's interesting is I write about it because I get questions. And I'm very careful because I don't want to come across as judgmental. Um, I really worry. I sometimes have been concerned after I write a blog post that someone thinks if they came in my home that, um, there wouldn't be a thing out of place. And that is not the case <laughs> at all. You know, it's as with any good thing, we can take it to the side of judgment. We can take it to the side of asceticism and we can take it too far. And that's not what minimalism is. In my mind, minimalism is saying, am I making the most of what I have and getting rid of the chaff? Am I getting rid of the excess so that I'm as effective and productive as I can be for the years that I have on this earth?
1: So don't take it too far, but, you know, maybe dip your toes in it if you're considering some of what we talked about already. It sounds somewhat appealing. Maybe not all of it. What I want to do now is maybe paint a picture as to how it could potentially be something more appealing. I know just this week you talked about decluttering the office. Yes. Now, tell me a little bit about this and what the effect has been.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm actually in the very office that we decluttered, um, which is saying a lot, because until that time, um, I really wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad room to be in, but I wasn't very productive in this room. And I have to start with the caveat that when I put that blog post out, a lot of people sent me direct messages or uh, comments saying so in the before picture, that room doesn't look very cluttered, <laughs> you know, like that's not my idea of cluttered. And I, so I have to qualify that with the, the fact that the more, you know, minimalist, the rooms that we live in are, the more some rooms feel uncomfortable. Now I have no problem going anywhere with a busy environment. That's fine. But when I'm wanting to be productive, when we want to be creative, when we want to, do our art, uh, the best place to do it in our family is, um, is in a room that really doesn't have a lot in it except what's necessary uh, because distraction comes just too easily in life too easily. So, yeah, I mean, looking at, so my husband actually texted me one day when I was at the office and said, I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed. And he is, he has a very strong minimalist mindset. He doesn't, um, I would probably say I'm the one who drives it more in our family, but he's very supportive. And so, Because this is primarily his office, I really hadn't said much about it. And so when he texted me, I thought, yes, I get to – this is going to be fun. (laughs) I think he's going to love the environment. And he does. So we decided that we just needed to look around, sort of like we look at our life and say, what's not needed? Can it be used elsewhere? Can we sell it for money? Can we give it to someone? who could use it um, right now. You know, it's not, that item's not being used effectively, and we certainly aren't using it. Someone else could. So that's sort of the way things started. And the other thing that was very helpful was pulling almost everything out, except the things that we knew that should stay. And then we added back. There are still a number of things that aren't in here that uh, Chris could choose to add back if he wants to, but he thought, hey, yeah, I'm going to give it a try for a while without it, because this, this clear space feels so great, but you don't want to go so far that our home feels like a museum. I have done that and that is not cool. <laughs> There's nothing like coming home at the end of the day thinking, "Wow, this is a bleak place and this is supposed to be my home." So, um so we don't just get, you know, pitch everything out straight away. We'll take a while and kind of see how we feel and operate in the environment and if he wants to add something back to the office, um he might do that in a couple weeks. We'll see.
1: Well, I want to say that I read this blog post earlier this week and I was sitting at my desk at work. Suddenly it just hit me. I just, I felt off. Mm. And suddenly I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to put everything that's sitting out either away or find a place to put it away. And then suddenly the entire area was just nice and serene. And suddenly I could focus. Like I sat down and said, okay, good. And started going. And yeah. I think some people, if they've ever listened to uh the original like episode zero of this podcast, where I talk about me and why I wanted to start this podcast and what I'd be talking about. I talk about the time when I was in college where I would hesitate or procrastinate, so to speak, doing homework. And part of it was I would just go and have to clean, do you know, random dishes in the apartment or move things off the desk or Laundry, all this kind of stuff. And I kind of suddenly forgave myself in my past and said, I think that's what I was doing unintentionally, or at least that's what I'm going to call it. Because th- just creating the space to actually be able to accomplish something or work or have that ability to, you know, just be at peace in yeah. your surroundings, I was just like, that's great. I hadn't yeah. even thought about it that way. So
0: you're exactly right. That And good job, by the way, because I think. There's something about investing and in making that change that gives us greater gain on the back end, you know, on the output or the outcome of whatever we're working on. And I think it really honors, uh, for my life, I want to honor God by not being slogged down or bogged down by having a lot of extra things. And I think that can translate to... Hopefully, um, being a better wife, being a better mom, being a better employee at LifeChurch.TV. And even, you know, I mean, it's it's just funny to think about because I think even what you're talking about sort of relates to the fact that there is a little bit of attention in being minimalist. It requires risk and faith. Um, I'll never forget when we were living in London, I had an experience one night where I thought to myself, oh, I didn't start the dishwasher as I was going to bed. And then I went, oh, wait, I don't have a dishwasher. I only own four plates (laughs) and because our family only had, you know, sort of four plates and I think four bowls at the time and then our usual um, silverware, we had to wash them after each meal. So we had them we had what we needed but we didn't have so much that they were accumulating dirty dishes in the sink. And now I mean let's be honest I have more dishes than that now now that I'm back in America. But at that time it was such a powerful lesson for me because I realized I didn't have more than I needed so I wasn't going to be bogged down by work that stressed me or allowed me to procrastinate in the morning. And by the same token I've had that experience with clothing. When our family were traveling Europe, um we would stay in a different hotel for about 5 days at a time. So like say You know, we're in Krakow or in Paris or somewhere, and we're in a hotel for four or five days with a three-year-old and a (laughs) five-year-old, and we each only had about enough clothes for maybe three to four days. So I would be washing them out in the hotel sink and then hanging them to dry in this little travel dry hanging line that I had, and we literally, it was sort of like, okay, if the kids are going to have socks tomorrow, they've got to be washed now. But by the same token, we weren't carrying around a lot of bags that were slowing down our travel. And so it, being minimalist creates a tension that you have to get the work done. There's not the opportunity to procrastinate. And it keeps me on my toes, but it also rewards me overall.
1: Nice. Yeah, definitely. So then not living in a hotel anymore, talk <laughs> a little bit about making your home a retreat. mm.
0: Yeah, I think making our home a retreat wherever we live is truly a gift that we should give ourselves. And a retreat doesn't mean it has to have expensive things. It doesn't mean we have to hire someone to come in. It means we take the time to say, yes, we value this. We're going to place it in our home. Our family will enjoy it. It will serve us well. And it's not something that um, just gets in the way that we have to dust and vacuum around uh, every so often. <laughs> and and the way that uh, our family sort of takes stock of that is, uh, in particular, my husband and I will ask ourselves um, how we feel in the evenings when we're hanging out, when we're really trying to relax, um, when we're away from work, even when our kids have gone to bed, what's our experience of the environment we're in? Does it feel like a museum? Like I said, have we gone too far to the minimalist side? Or does it feel like we're just overwhelmed with stuff? And if we are overwhelmed with stuff, our quickest fix is literally to do about just a 10-minute tidy-up so that um, we can sit down and have a conversation and not be thinking about the things that are out of place or things that need to be done. Um, And that also helps us start our days better when we've sort of done a
1: tidy-up as well. Well, I love that you're talking about it in a sense of a balance, Yeah, an equilibrium of going one way or the other.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, if I, trust me, um, if we had the camera going here and you saw around my home, you wouldn't think, oh, wow, yeah, there's no pictures on the wall. There's no nothing like that. That's not the case at all. Um, But it is, um, it's what we like, love, or what we need. And then beyond that, it's just not here. And I'm often asked a lot, Eric, how do we do that with kids?
1: I would love to know that myself.
0: (laughs) You know, we have, um, we have two kids, and every kid is different. My kids are opposite in a lot of ways. And so our approach has been to, because they're old enough now to um, really know what they like, we're asking them leading questions. You know, how do you feel in your room? What would make your room feel more like a haven to you? Um, one of my kids is really creative, and one of my kids is really practical. So we'll sort of ask them, um, what makes this a place that you want to come enjoy? you know, what makes this a place that you can create in or a place that um, you can do your Legos in or whatever it is that my kids um, are doing at the time. And funny enough, one of them could care less about... About things, and that's fine. I didn't at that time either. I was very clear on my blog. My room was literally a junk pile until I left for college, and I don't know how my parents handled it. (laughs) But I'm thankful that they gave me the freedom to sort of have around me what made me comfortable. I didn't know I was comfortable having less um, until I had a dramatic life change as an adult. So with our kids, we say, what are your favorite toys? And then we try to help them um, weed out things that have you know, sort of taken over about once a quarter. I do that with them when the season changes, weed out clothes and toys and find a place to give them or sell them if they'd like, and they can keep that money. And then we also are very careful about adding in. Like I said, you know, last night I was talking to my husband about being in a season of addition. Well, I just had a birthday. We're about to have a birthday for my daughter And birthdays in America means addition of things to your home. So (laughs) that's basically the quick translation of it. So we're, you know, we work with our kids saying for your birthday, would you like an experience? Is there something you've never done that our family could experience together? Or is there maybe one item that you would really value that uh, we could go in together and and buy this for you Um, instead of just, you know, giving them 10 or more packages to open And sort of let those things pile up uh, by their bedroom door. So we have to be really intentional about that.
1: Yeah. I I love that you're using the word intentionality because that really is the thing. It's like having priorities, being intentionable. Uh, There's that fake word again, intentionable. (laughs) Um, Intentional about making action plans, making action items towards reaching those goals. Also taking the time to step back. And, I mean, I love the fact that you're, you're having conversations in the evening about, well, how do we feel? Well, you know, where are we at here? And then literally even just to do a quick 10-minute pickup as, a, as an assessment <laughs> on that is nice. It sounds like you're really training uh, or at least the goal – and all parents sometimes feel like failures – I know I've been there, oh, but yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you're really doing an intentional job of trying to raise your kids with a sense of a- adventure, but choosing to see it as that, mm. you know? Um, I know one of the other blog posts you wrote, and I know you wrote it about marriage, and it, you called it Maximize Your Marriage, Choose the Adventure. Mm. But as I was reading through that, I just couldn't help but – See that it it really is about your perspective and choosing it, you know? You you list a couple of things down, for example, which I assume are all semi or literally biographical, uh, where you write, Needing to downsize, your family could become closer. Mm, Pregnant and tired, your older children can embrace more responsibility at home. (laughs) Facing financial stress, you and your spouse can go to God together and submit a plan for change have an ailing parent, this is your chance to serve them back selflessly. Mm-hmm. Making a stressful commute every day, now you can listen to podcasts or spend time getting to know the kids better. And you write, <laughs> I'm on this adventure right now.
0: Yes, I am. My children have been listening. Um, they've listened to you and Michael Hyatt and Andy Traub the last uh, this week riding to school.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> We're building up leaders young, I hope. <laughs> awesome.
1: Well, they, they're definitely listening to the right stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and by that I mean Michael and Andy. And so I I just when I read that, it just hit me. It's like that fits so much into all the other stuff you're doing and and are writing about, talking about minimalism and and how that really is just kind of prioritizing. It, it's kind of like minimalism for me again. And now I'm gonna redefine it. How about that?
0: All um, right, I'm ready.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say for me, minimalism is prioritization. Plus perspective, yes, and that—that's really what you've been doing is—is is you've been you've been stating your priorities, or at least taking the time. See, that's the thing. So, so many people don't take the time to actually assess what their priorities even are, let alone to then be able to choose what the next step would be in to, in terms of getting their stuff done.
0: Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. And you know, we—I—I I would say that's a great definition because we gained the perspective first, just through. Um, selling everything we owned and going overseas. But over time, we realized that we were able to, as we came back to America, we had to really consider the opportunity cost. Um, Yeah, we're American. Yes, we live here. There are things we do different than some people, but not because we're not American, really just because our priorities are different. And so the decision was very interesting to make looking at um, a number of things that are commonly done. For example, I have to share, um, just so you don't think too much of me, I have to share that when we moved back to America, I really fought buying a car. I loved the walking um, and public transit society that we were used to in Europe. And you, the places that I've lived in America, you really can't get around on foot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You would be hard-pressed. And so my perspective was minimalist, but I wasn't willing to prioritize uh, the fact that I probably didn't need to try to be walking places in pretty bad cold winters. It was just, uh, let's say, stupid. So... (laughs) So I still had the perspective, but some of my priorities had to change based upon the season and the environment I was in. And thats um, I would say that ironically, our perspective and some priorities that Chris and I have are probably the biggest conflict that we don't have in our marriage, but that we have in living out our life together on the adventure. Um, There are things that are important to us that we are not able to just by circumstances that we don't get to live that way. But maybe someday we will get to again. And we're thankful to have had the perspective to at least learn about that and to prioritize that for a season. But for right now, we're definitely the, the two car family and, and all of that.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like you've done some of what the Dave Ramsey stuff is calling uh, live like no one else. So then you can later you can live like no one else.
0: Yes. And I would have to testify that's why we got to move overseas. Uh, Our family, uh, Chris and I both have finance degrees. He in particular has, earlier in his career, quite a lot of experience of managing uh, portfolios for large companies, wealthy individuals. So it's a little unfortunate to admit that we made some really dumb financial decisions. And thank goodness for Dave Ramsey. We went through the financial peace program. And as we came out of that, we're able to, through some donations, but also our own savings, pay cash um, for our daughter's adoption, and then um, live overseas without creating any debt. We were living on our own money much of that time. So it was a blessing to tell our money what to do instead of let our money tell us what to do.
1: (laughs) Nice awesome so then what is it you're currently doing now where are you at like right these days you're you're working with life church mm-hmm. um, you're blogging you've got an ebook I know that's on Amazon is that the one that you wrote while you were in Europe
0: yes the art of online ministry and I would like to speak to that for the fact that you said you know what are you doing right now and really um I'm giving my time because my passion is so much just wrapped around um, online ministry, I'm really doing a lot with lifechurch.tv, working full-time and also um, focusing on family because I have not been working full-time for eight years. So this is a big adjustment. It's going well, but it's certainly a big adjustment for our family. So that's my primary focus. And then I do write every week um, just because I I love knowing when I hear from people, they say, Dana, this helped me or this gave me an idea. And even if they disagree, that's great too because it's causing them to think about the minimalist mindset. So I'm keeping that blogging going. And what I learned was this blog, uh, DanaBuyers.com, all of these minimalist posts, many of them are from my journal um, I'd be lying if I didn't say a lot of my content just comes straight out of what I've journaled over the years, and that's how the art of online ministry came about—the ebook that I wrote because I was thinking about sort of a uh, a uh, model for church online, if you will, sort of some suggestions and things I had learned, and literally as we traveled. And as we started BlueDoor.TV and it was growing, my inbox was full of emails with very similar questions. And I think you'll like this on the productivity side, Eric, that I started going through those emails and instead of answering them, I would just pull out key questions. And I saw so many overlapping questions and thought, you know what? I've got all this content in my journal on my BlackBerry. That answers these, I need to compile it and put it out there. And then someone said, hey, that's pretty much an ebook. Instead of just creating an FAQ, um, a long FAQ, why don't you put together something that would answer the questions of a lot of people? And so that's what we did. And we put it up on our website. Uh, gave it away free. And we had several thousand downloads in, I think, 30 or 40 different countries right away. And it was so exciting because it was a gift. It was like whatever experience I had, I could compile and share. And that is a payday for me. Like that's what motivates me. So that's why I continue talking about minimalism on my blog, because when I hear back from people, hey, we tried that idea, or this might help us in the future, we're considering downsizing, anything like that makes it, it, it is the payoff for me. So while I don't directly say it, I mean, I kind of feel like I'm blogging a book again, that my goal would be if, you know, in uh, sometime next year, hopefully as, as things come together, that I could compile a team of people and say, here's the content, can you put something together that we can create that would be a gift to someone? you know, to someone who maybe is where Dana Byers was five years ago saying, I love my life, but I know I've got some gifts that I'm not employing. I want to lead my children by example, not just by words. And I want to live life like an adventure every day with my husband. I think that's really what everyone wants is to know a purpose, but to be in a position where they can live it out. And I believe that the minimalist mindset allows everyone to do that, no matter what their purpose is. So what I'm doing right now, apart from my core passion of my day-to-day job, is just, you know, journaling about what I'm learning about minimalism and hoping the opportunity will come where a team of people can sort of, we can pull that together and release that um, so that people have it as a guide to just sort of help them walk through the process Uh, That our family have been through that has drastically changed our lives.
1: Wow, that sounds really exciting. I know my wife in particular would probably read that book. So (laughs) hurry up and get that done. Okay. (laughs) And then, in all the stuff that we've been talking about, and kind of in closing, how would you prescribe? Say somebody, somebody just listened to all this, so they're at the point where they're thinking, okay, this all sounds, or some nugget of this sounds really good, but I don't know where to start. What do you say to that?
0: Um, I say to them, uh, if you allow me to take the model that we use with um in ministry, which is when we connect with people who have just um you know they've been involved with church enough that they're they've been curious enough about God they've just decided to commit their life to Christ, we walk them through a process where we can answer a couple of key questions that usually come to their mind first, so taking that really helpful model and Translating that into someone who's curious about minimalism. Again, minimalism being nowhere near as important to me as Christ. <laughs> just, just making sure that that's understood. But with, with the mindset of living that way as a servant and trying to have things that you can share and being generous, I usually um, suggest that you ask yourself, um, you know, what am I not doing that's really in my heart to do? how am I unique from all the people around me? Uh, for my husband and me, we were unique in the fact that we were interested in other cultures. We were comfortable living in other environments. Uh, we had spent some time um, in a couple different countries together already before we moved overseas, not recognizing that over time we were really being prepared for that experience. Uh, we also, as as I mentioned earlier, my husband was is very entrepreneurial and I'm very focused-minded. So together... We decided we could sort of take those gifts and use them for something. And I would also say um, a real key goal is saying, what do I want to work on first? If we try to work on a lot at once, we're giving ourselves an opportunity to fail at all of it. Um, the, the, The power of focus is saying this is what's most important for now, and I'm going to trust that as I work on this over time, I will have the capacity to do more. Diving right in, as much of an activator as I am, is something I wouldn't suggest. You know, when we sold everything we owned, we literally, even though we were in our home one morning, full of items priced for sale, came back in the afternoon to an empty house after the estate sale, there was a lot that led up to that. It really wasn't an overnight experience. It was paring down over time. Um, Through that process, to give you just an incredible example, Eric, is... As we were cutting back in our lives and as God was preparing us to become more minimal in our mindset and to go overseas, uh, my husband, Chris, actually lost about 80 pounds.
1: Oh, wow.
0: He decided that he—we um, both decided—I had said to him for years, I always wanted to be a runner, but I'm really not a runner. Well, the fact is I hadn't tried it, and he sort of called my bluff on that, and he started running before I did, and I couldn't just let him get out there on his own. I wanted to try it, too. And um, he lost a significant amount of weight and was forever changed to the point that some people didn't recognize him who hadn't seen him (laughs) for years. And so that was a very physical example of minimizing something that was holding him back. Then as we progressed, you know, we had already gotten out of debt at that point. So that happened. The money happened before the weight loss. Then our clutter loss happened (laughs) when we sold our things. And then as we were overseas, just living out day to day, We weren't like these incredible thinkers. It just sort of things started dawning on us. You know what? This is our gifting. This is an opportunity or experience I have. And we started living out of the minimalism that we were already employing in our lives. So it's choosing one area. Um, Maybe finances, health, clutter, schedule. I can't believe I haven't mentioned that schedule. Oh, Oh, my goodness. That's so huge. Maybe starting there is a great opportunity. And saying, what am I going to adjust who can I bring along to support me in this, to encourage me, to speak life into this and make sure that your family or, or those people closest to you are along with you on the journey so they don't feel like you're, you know, dragging them <laughs> and then take those steps. And with that one goal, let time do its work on you. Don't force it to happen all at once. I, I, I often worry if I put a blog post out about here's something we did that someone will think, okay. If I go get rid of all my dishes, things will be better. No, <laughs> really not the case. So um, I think that really simplicity in action is choosing that one thing and, and letting, it, letting it happen.
1: So it's not just about simplicity. It's also about practicality because right. getting rid of the dishes may eliminate your having to do the dishes problem, but it's going to create another problem. You have nothing to eat on. Right. So <laughs> that's impractical.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it is easy to be short sighted. We don't want to be short sighted. And that's why, you know, walking through it carefully and having others input is very wise.
1: Well, I am extremely thankful for you sharing all this on this episode. It's been great stuff. And I really hope that people decide to check out uh, Dana Byers dot com. And that's spelled D-A-N-A-B-Y-E-R-S dot com. Dana, any closing remarks?
0: I would just like to say thanks, Eric, because it I find it uh, just laughable that um, something that was born out of an interest in knowing ourselves better and an interest in obeying God every way we could and an interest in living our lives with passion uh, turned into something I didn't expect. Trust me, five years ago, never occurred to me that I would be um, speaking on a podcast or blogging about cutting away things in our life so that we can see better growth elsewhere. And so when people think of themselves, and they might hear this podcast and discount the ability to make change like that, I would just say, I was in the exact same position. And it's it is a journey, I'm still working towards not overdoing it and not underdoing it. So I appreciate being able to share. And um, I just thank you for the opportunity, Eric.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. Well, that wraps up another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Again, if you are enjoying or finding benefit in this show, please hop over to com slash iTunes and leave a favorable rating or review. It really helps out and helps others find the show, who I'm sure will find it just as beneficial as you have. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and we'll see you next time. On the to-do list is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.